Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions. I'm Perry Romanowski. Due to a scheduling conflict, today is going to be a shortened solo show. But fear not, my regular co-host Valerie will be back next week for a full show answering your beauty questions. On today's show, I'm going to be mixing it up a little bit, you know, trying a couple of new segments. I'm going to do something I'm going to call kitchen cosmetic segments, which is going to look at whether a homemade beauty hack is really safe and effective. Then there will be a segment that I call Hot Topics, in which I'll give you my spin on some current trend in the beauty industry. And of course, we'll also answer a question. These are experimental segments, and they may continue or may not. We'll, we'll see how they go. But first, I wanted to talk to you about the beauty brains. Really, more specifically, about the kinds of questions we can answer, the advice that we can give, and really any kind of a beauty advice you might find on the internet in general. Thankfully, we get a lot of questions here on the Beauty Brains. In fact, we've gotten over 800 in our spreadsheet right at the moment. And I'm happy to have them. I, I really am. I knew when we started the Beauty Brains that people had a lot of questions about beauty products. That's really what caused us to start the Beauty Brains in the first place. I would be at a party or, a, or an event and someone would find out I'm a cosmetic chemist and they would just have tons of questions about their beauty products. Of course, we're going to answer as many of the questions that we get as we can, but I think it's important for you to know the types of questions that we can and cannot answer. And this is going to be generally true of most resources that you have on the internet. So let's start with the types of questions that we can answer. Unsurprisingly, the easiest questions for us to answer are the ones in which you ask about technology and product functionality. For example, questions like, how does a product or technology work? Does a product or technology even work? Or, what can I use to solve some of my skin or hair problems? Now, for the most part, we can answer questions like these because there are mostly definitive answers. We can look at the chemicals in the formulas, review some published research, and give a scientific assessment of the mechanisms that have been proposed about how the product works and, and whether it actually does. But I should mention that for many beauty product technologies, there isn't a lot of published research. Companies try to keep these things secret often, and much of the research that is published is not of high quality. For example, you might have heard about the wonders of bak choy extract and how it works as well as retinol. But what you probably didn't see in those reports was that this was done on a like a six-person panel. Now, this is a ridiculously small panel, and while these types of small studies are used for giving direction to the way your research should go, uh, and they're also used for supporting any kind of claims you make in advertising, they shouldn't be substitutes for actual science. This isn't getting to answer a scientific question. It's just giving you a direction. They could have easily taken six other people and not found an effect, and so we don't know where we're at. So small studies are should be treated with high skepticism, and these types of things happen a lot in the beauty industry. Other types of questions that we can answer are ones in which you ask for our view 
on a specific subject. So questions like, what do you think of this product or technology? Why do you think this certain thing happened in the beauty industry? What does some beauty product claim mean? Uh, is this product or technology natural? Questions like this we can answer because we have some direct experience with using the product or we've been around the cosmetic industry long enough to have developed an opinion about specific technologies. There actually isn't a lot that changes in the cosmetic industry in terms of technologies. In fact, nearly all the ingredients that are commonly used today were also commonly used 20 or 30 years ago. Now, there are some questions that are a little more difficult to answer because they involve some kind of value judgment. These types of questions we can't give you definitive answers to, although we can certainly provide opinions. Two of the most common questions like this are ones like, is a product or technology safe? Is a product or technology a good deal or is it worth buying? Questions about safety uh, and, and value are difficult because things that I consider safe may not be the same things that you consider safe. Safety is a judgment call. For instance, I think going on a roller coaster is perfectly safe. Other people might think that it's too dangerous and not safe. Neither of us are necessarily right or wrong. It's just a personal preference and a level of risk that you're willing to take. From the standpoint of cosmetics, for example, I think preservatives like parabens and formaldehyde donors are safe. I think the amount of lead that you get in lipsticks from cosmetics is safe. I come to my conclusions based on published toxicology reports and the opinion of professional toxicologists, people who are experts in this subject. But there are organizations like the Environmental Working Group, and there are beauty brands like, say, Juice Beauty, who don't agree with toxicologists, and they don't believe those ingredients are safe. They don't really care what toxicologists say or about scientific concepts like threshold values and doses. They really have come to the conclusion, based on, I don't know, reasons, that these things just aren't safe. And no amount of collected data or studies is going to change their mind. Now, I don't think this is a good way to learn the truth about things, but, you know, that's how I look at the world. In truth, I do feel confident to answer questions about product safety, though, because I believe that my values reflect reasonable risks based on available safety data. Similarly, questions about whether a product is worth buying or a good value are difficult to answer. That's because whether something is worth buying is related to how important money is to you versus other things like status, image, brand, personality, and your own personal identity. You know, I personally think money is important, and there are things that I don't think are worth spending money on. If I can get the same product performance benefit while spending less money, to me, that's worth it. But you might care more about the brands and what that brand says about you and how it kind of reflects your personal style and psyche. Now, we here on the Beauty Brains may be able to tell you that a product costs about $2 a unit to make, but we can't tell you whether that's a good value. We can't say whether you should spend $5 on that product or buy a different, more expensive brand that will work the same, but is in nicer packaging, has a better social media presence, and costs $50. Now, I, of course, would go for the cheaper price, but not everyone feels that way. 
Honestly, I'll never understand how a Louis Vuitton handbag goes for the amount of money that they charge, but my wife loves it. <laughs> so the bottom line is we can answer questions about safety and value, but ultimately it is up to you to decide what is the right answer for you. Now, there are also some questions that I don't think we can answer here on the Beauty Brains, and these questions are ones which are typically more specific to individual consumers. So we can't give you good answers to questions like, will this technology work for me? What is the best technology for my problem? Will I be allergic to some product or technology? And can I use this product or technology to treat some medical condition? The reality is that everyone is different. The advice that we give here on the Beauty Brains only applies to people in general. For any individual, we can't really know what the right answer is to some of your questions. For example, we can't tell you whether minoxidil will work for you when it comes to hair loss. It only works for about two-thirds of people who use it, and we really have no way of knowing whether you're in the working group or in the group that it doesn't work. This is the same case for any technology. And we also can't answer medical questions. No one on the Beauty Brains is a medical doctor, so it would be irresponsible to answer these types of questions. So just to sum it up, the Beauty Brains is here to answer your beauty questions, but there are some questions which we are better at answering than others. We can answer questions about product functionality, how things work, and whether something will live up to its claims. We can give you a scientific assessment of whether products are safe or a good value, but ultimately you'll have to answer those questions for yourself. And we can't answer questions about whether something will specifically work for you. No one can really do that. And we can't answer medical questions. Just leave those to a doctor. Of course, we'll give opinions on pretty much anything, so feel free to continue sending in your questions. And when we can, we'll answer it in the best way that we know how. There's a lot of beauty advice on the internet, a lot more than when we first started the Beauty Brains, and it's amazing that the same things keep coming up over and over. So I thought we could do a regular segment here on the show where we look at some household beauty hack that is popular on the internet, and we'll discuss what it is, whether it works, and most importantly, whether it's safe. So let's kick off this segment with a hack that I frequently stumble upon using Preparation H for combating puffy eyes. First, let's talk about puffy eyes and what that means. Puffy eyes are a swelling around your eyes and typically pooling up underneath your eyes. There are a lot of things that cause this, including bloating, dehydration, fatigue, allergies, hormones, crying, genetics. <laughs> and this is one of the problems with this particular problem. Since there are so many causes, no single treatment is going to work for all of the causes. All right, let's talk about Preparation H. Preparation H is used to heal hemorrhoids, which is also a swelling phenomenon. So you can see why people sort of got the notion that, you know, if it works for swelling in one spot, it should work for swelling underneath the eyes. Now, since redness is also a common complaint with puffy eyes, uh, that can be typically due to an increased flow of blood. So the idea is that any treatment that can restrict the blood vessels in an area, that may provide some temporary relief. And that's how Preparation H works. It contains a drug called phenylephrine, which 
can restrict blood vessels and the flow of blood temporarily when applied to the dairy area. <laughs> it also contains common skin ingredients like petrolatum, mineral oil, and the much less common shark liver oil. <laughs> While it might seem like a reasonable idea, there are a couple of problems with Preparation H. At best, Preparation H can really only address the redness and not really the puffiness. It doesn't affect the puffiness uh, where it's normally used either. The active ingredient doesn't affect swelling. And second, if you accidentally get some of the ingredient in your eyes, the other ingredients can cause some serious damage, in which case puffiness is going to be the least of your concerns. In fact, a study published in the American Journal of Ophthalmology on phenylephrine implicated its use in causing heart attacks when, in, when in enough is uh, used, and it can also affect the cornea of your eye. It's, the bottom line is it's just not a good idea to use it around your eyes. It's, it's not safe. Uh, and whether it really works for the, the problem you're trying to solve, it has not really been demonstrated. You're better off addressing the underlying causes of the problem of puffy eyes. First, are you getting enough rest? Seven hours of sleep per night is really a recommended minimum, and that's going to help the way your eyes look. Also, often puffiness is due to allergies. Uh, while it may not be pollen season, you can still get an allergic reaction to anything from air airborne allergens like grass to certain foods. If this is a big problem for you, get an allergy test done or try eliminating foods from your diet to see if that helps relieve your problem. Another big reason for under eye puffiness is bloating or dehydration, and this can be hormonal, like before menstruation or because of diet. The best treatments for these is to take a diuretic. That's going to help you uh, eliminate some of the extra fluids. Also, drink enough water and consume healthy amounts of salt to stay hydrated but not bloated. For some people, having puffy eyes is hereditary. In these cases, there really isn't much you can do besides cleverly doing your makeup or some really invasive measures like cosmetic eyelid surgery. But either way, the notion that Preparation H is an easy way to cure puffy eyes is just a myth. One final thing. If this really did work and was safe, you can bet your bottom dollar that companies would be all over making a cosmetic product version of this based specifically on this for puffy eyes. The fact that they don't, that should tell you a lot. Here's a new segment we're gonna try out, Beauty Business Rants. This is a segment where one of the beauty brands takes a common topic in the beauty business and gives a short commentary. We'll, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Today's topic, cruelty-free cosmetics. I've seen a lot of articles about this topic and a quick look at Google Trends shows that interest in cruelty-free beauty products has rapidly increased in the last three years. Just the other day, I read that Unilever has gone on a crusade to get animal testing banned around the world. Dove was credited with being cruelty-free by PETA, and California just passed a law called the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act that banned animal testing. I'll save animal testing for another day, but in this segment, I wanted to cover the claim cruelty-free. What does it mean? What effect does it have on animals? And are cruelty-free cosmetics really cruelty-free? According to Wikipedia, the term cruelty-free refers to 
products or activities that do not harm or kill animals anywhere in the world. Now, Wikipedia isn't always the most accurate source for, of information, but it does reflect the beliefs of many people. So there is a large segment of the population that believes cruelty-free products are not harming animals. But is this true? Are cruelty-free products really ones that do not harm or kill animals? No, this is not true. It's not true at all. In fact, with the recent movement towards plant-derived ingredients and clean beauty, the production of cosmetics may actually be becoming more cruel and harmful to animals. Now you might be wondering, how is that? Well, I'm going to tell you. When beauty product companies use the claim cruelty-free, what they really mean is that their company has not done any animal testing. Essentially, they are relying on using only ingredients that were previously tested on animals by other companies, and they used human volunteers for other types of testing like skin irritation. To cosmetic companies and the state of California, cruelty-free means not tested on animals. Well, non-human animals anyway. And while it, it is true that companies claiming cruelty-free don't harm animals by testing on them, this isn't the only place in the production of cosmetics where animals might be harmed or killed. Consider farming. Now, it's complicated to figure out exactly how many animals are inadvertently killed during plowing, planting, and harvesting, but one study by Fisher and Lamy, published in the Journal of Agricultural and Environmental Ethics, estimates about 7.3 billion wild animals are killed every year from agriculture. And this doesn't even include the insects that are both accidentally and purposely killed. Of course, this is a controversial number because no one has actually gone out and counted wild animal deaths. Critics will claim that the most of the animals are escaping. But certainly, everyone would agree that at least some animals are killed during the process of growing and harvesting crops. And that's my point. Cosmetic products that use plant-derived ingredients are not free from cruelty. Indeed, they are still responsible for killing and maiming a vast number of animals every year. One thing that bugs me about the claim is that it is just wrong. Cruelty-free cosmetics are not free from cruelty. That's the wrong word. And it's misleading because consumers really think that the products are cruelty-free. They think that no harm is coming to animals in the making of these products, and that is just wrong. But what really bugs me is the manipulative, holier-than-thou attitude that brands who make this claim have. The cruelty-free claim automatically implies that other cosmetic brands that don't make this claim are evil, cold-hearted, rabbit-killing abominations. And this just isn't true. In the EU and elsewhere, animal testings of cosmetics has been banned since 2013. Pretty much every beauty product sold in Europe is cruelty-free. It's a meaningless claim. And since big multinational brands who sell around the world don't want to complicate production by using different formulas in different places, most of the big companies have stopped using animal testing too. The reality is, even in the United States, the vast majority of companies have avoided doing animal testing. This is primarily because it's expensive, it's a PR nightmare, and they can make most products perfectly fine without doing any additional animal testing. 
The cruelty-free claim for cosmetics is just outdated and misleading. And the implication that somehow the brands that label themselves as cruelty-free are better for animals than other brands, that's just false. Cruelty-free cosmetics are nothing special, and they certainly aren't harmless to animals. It's just morality marketing that attempts to paint competitors as immoral. Now, I love animals. I had lots of pets over the years and even studied biology. Amphibians were always my favorite, but I really do love all animals. In fact, I even volunteer at a cat shelter every week. That's the cat sounds you hear at the end of the, uh, the podcast every week. I think it's great that these companies are doing away with animal testing. For the most part, they aren't needed for cosmetics, and these tests, they do seem pretty cruel. I'm happy the cosmetic industry is finally getting away from it, and when alternative testing methods get even better, I think someday animal testing will be gone. But don't be fooled by cruelty-free marketing right now. Products with a bunny on the front or endorsed by PETA may avoid animal testing, like most every other cosmetic brand, but they are not free from cruelty, and certainly they are not free from harming animals. Just ask the rabbits whose bodies are mangled during the harvesting of that corn-derived clean beauty gentle cleanser. Well, this being a show where real scientists answer your beauty question, I didn't want to end before answering at least one question. Here's one that came to us from Michelle. Hi, my name is Michelle Faisal and I'm from India. My question was regards to sunscreens and how effective they are with regards to tanning. You know, basic question is, if if a sunscreen is supposed to, you know, protect you from UVA and UVB rays, shouldn't it also protect you from tanning? I use sunscreen on a daily basis. I agree that it protects me from UVA and UVB rays, but it doesn't stop the tanning process. So can you just tell, tell me about that? Thanks for the question, Michelle. If your tan lines are four shades darker and you're wearing sunscreen daily, there's definitely something strange going on. Now, to answer your question, we first have to talk a bit about the sun, UV rays, and what causes the skin to tan. The sun actually bathes the earth in a variety of types of light and radiation across what is referred to as the electromagnetic spectrum. These include things like x-rays, radio waves, but also includes ultraviolet rays, infrared rays, and visible light. As far as sunscreens are concerned, the ultraviolet or the UV rays are what's important. Ultraviolet waves are a type of light wave that you're just not able to see. The human eye can detect light waves that have a range of from 700 to 400 nanometers in length. UV rays are shorter than this and they range anywhere from 290 to 400 nanometers. There are actually some insects and birds who can detect UV rays, but they have slightly different eyes than us. Anyway, UV waves are further divided into three types based on their wavelengths. There are UVA, which are light waves from 320 to 400 nanometers. There are UVB rays, which are from 280 to 320 nanometers. And then there are also UVC rays, which are from 200 to 280 nanometers. But fortunately, the Earth's atmosphere filters most of those out. That's fortunate because UVC would be super damaging to people. Now it turns out that the different types of UV radiation have different effects on our skins and bodies. UVB radiation is known to cause sunburns. 
It also is involved in the development of skin cancer and has a more limited effect on tanning and skin aging. Sunscreens were originally developed to prevent the, the damage caused by UVB radiation. But we learned something. We learned more about UVA rays. UVA rays are much more abundant, making up about 95% of the UV radiation coming into the Earth's surface. Their most immediate noticeable effect on the skin is that they cause tanning to happen. Melanin producing cells in your skin called melanocytes, those are stimulated by UVA waves and that induces tanning. They start producing more melanin. Unfortunately, UVA also causes other damage to the skin, such as to the skin's DNA, and that can lead ultimately to the development of skin cancer. When something is referred to as a broad-spectrum sunscreen, this means that it's able to protect from both the damage of the UVB rays and the damage of the UVA rays. All right, back to your question. You say that you are using a sunscreen every day and you are still tanning. Now, there are a couple of possible things that might be going on. First, if you are not using a broad-spectrum sunscreen, you may be only getting protection from that UVB radiation and not UVA. As I said, sunscreens were traditionally created to block UVB and they pretty much ignored the UVA. So if this is true in your case, you still may be letting some UVA radiation get through and that's stimulating the melanin production and that's tanning your skin. So to prevent this, be sure that you're using a broad spectrum sunscreen. In the U.S., the only ingredients that show significant enough UVA protection on their own is zinc oxide and avobenzone. If your sunscreen doesn't contain one of these ingredients, it may not be providing you with that total protection from UVA radiation that you need to prevent tanning. In the EU and elsewhere, there are more options for UVA protection, uh, but in the U.S., you know, it's just those two ingredients. Another possibility is that your sunscreen is too old. It turns out as sunscreen ages, its ability to protect you from the UVA radiation is actually reduced. Actually, what happens is the absorbance of the overall sunscreen shifts towards the UVB range and shifts away from the UVA range. So older sunscreen really won't protect you from UVA as well as it will protect you from UVB. Still another possibility is that you're not using enough sunscreen. When you apply sunscreen, you need to use a lot more than you might imagine. Tests done to get sunscreen SPF ratings, they use two milligrams per centimeter squared of skin. That means you need to use about one ounce of product to cover all of your skin. And if you squeeze out one ounce, uh, well, you know, a bottle is usually uh, eight or 16 ounce. I mean, you gotta use one eighth or one sixteenth of the entire bottle every time you put it on. So maybe you're not using enough. Finally, the other thing to know about UVA radiation is that you are exposed to it anytime the sun is out and even when on a cloudy day. Whereas UVB radiation, it peaks during midday and is limited during the morning and late afternoon, UVA exposure happens as long as the sun is out and even on a cloudy day. It can even go through uh, glass, so just because you're sitting in the sun behind a glass window, you're still getting UVA radiation. This could also be a contributing factor to you continuing to get tan when you think you're protected. So in sum, just make sure you're using a broad spectrum sunscreen. 
make sure that it's less than a year old, and be sure that you're using enough of it. Hopefully, that's going to solve your tanning problem. All right, that music tells me that uh, my time is up. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions. Incidentally, if you wanted to have a beauty question answered on the Beauty Braids, you can record it on your phone and then send that recording or just send an email to thebeautybrains at gmail.com and uh, we'll put that uh, in the hopper for answering on a future show. Also, feel free to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're just at thebeautybrains. And we also have a Facebook page, The Beauty Brains. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This will keep the show going and help avoid any of those pesky advertisements that I find so maddening. Because I'm while I'm running, I'm listening to podcasts, and then I hear an ad, and I'm like, ugh, I gotta stop running or stop juggling and fast forward. It's I, I just prefer not to have the ads. <laughs> Thank you, podcast makers. So if you want to help keep us ad-free and uh, me sane, uh, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Kittens! <laughs>